Welcome to the Hero Maker Podcast. I'm Andrea Schreeman, writer, director, EP, living in LA. I'm Jennifer Morrison, and I currently serve as the Commissioner of Public Safety for the state of Vermont. We are here to seek out and tell the full story of our friends who were murdered in college, Rachel Raver and Warren Fulton III. We really need to make sure that their deaths were not in vain and that every possible lesson and improvement for the system can be squeezed from the retelling of the circumstances that ultimately led to the identification of their killer. Welcome to case update number one. One of the concepts of the show is that Jennifer has intentionally not pursued information beyond what she knew personally going into the Hero Maker podcast. We thought that this would help us keep a fresh perspective and keep the audience's point of view a little bit more in mind. So let's review what we know so far, what we came in knowing and what we've learned about the crimes of Alfredo Prieto in episodes one through four. We knew coming in that our friends, Warren Fulton III and Rachel Raver, both student-athletes at GW in the late 1980s and college sweethearts, went missing on December 3rd, 1988. They were last seen at a Christmas gathering at one of our regular GW hangouts, Mr. Days. Their bodies were recovered on the following Tuesday in a grassy field on the side of the road in Fairfax County, Virginia. We learned at that time that Rachel had been sexually assaulted and both Rachel and Warren were shot in the back. In episode one, we talked with Rachel's older sister, Dee Dee Raver, who walked us through a lot of what happened after that. Rachel's brown Toyota Corolla was missing and presumed stolen. And several weeks after the murders, their mother, Veronica Raver, received a summons in the mail for a pile of unpaid parking tickets on the car. Rachel's car had apparently been dumped on the street in Jamaica, Queens, New York, and the very first ticket was dated for Sunday the day after the Saturday night that they were last seen at Mr. Day's. There was no useful physical evidence from the car, as it had been totally stripped, trashed, and burned while sitting on the street for many weeks. After the discovery of Rachel's car, which at first was regarded as a hopeful lead, everything went silent for over a decade. And during that time, Dee Dee and her family members appeared on as many local and national television programs as possible to try to keep the case alive and reach anyone who might know something that could lead to the identification of Warren and Rachel's killer. Integral to Dee Dee's healing was working with the National Center for Victims of Crime to locate survivor services in her area. Also during that decade plus, the first cold case units in American policing came online and Fairfax County launched an early and very robust program. In episode three, we heard from three members of the GW baseball program from the late 80s who described the long-lasting impact of these tragic events on their personal lives. They also brought in much detail and context of the days, weeks, and months following the loss of Rachel and Warren, presenting a picture of individual healing that was bolstered by their dogged pursuit of a common goal on the field. These players and their coach really brought Warren alive for our audience. Yeah. And in that same conversation, my co-host, Commissioner Morrison, spoke about her own frustration with there not being any accountability for the heinous crimes perpetrated against our friends. And also about her struggle as co-captain of the GW women's soccer team in 1988 to help her frightened teammates regain a sense of balance. 
She gave a nod to these powerful experiences as motivating her toward her career in law enforcement. Jennifer cites these seminal college experiences as providing a background in the survivor's point of view that shaped how she provided care in cases that came her way as a developing police leader, especially when she worked in the area of child abuse and sex crimes. Finally, in the year 2000, 12 years after Rachel and Warren's deaths, through improvements in DNA technology, their case was linked to another murder that had occurred just six months prior in neighboring Arlington County. In May of 1988, Tina Jefferson, a 23-year-old CIA accountant, was found sexually assaulted and shot behind an elementary school. She had been shopping at a nearby grocery store, and when her car was found in that parking lot, there was ice cream melting in the back seat. These two events being linked by DNA brought the Jefferson family together with the Ravers and the Fultons. And in episode four, we spoke with Tina's mother, Velda Jefferson, who recounted how meeting the Ravers, though surreal, brought a sense of comfort that there were other families who were going through the exact same unique torture that they were, having no answers for the shocking and gruesome events that took their daughters' lives. Velda described what it was like working with the wonderful victims' advocacy team assigned to her daughter's case and the real difference that they can make in healing and taking vulnerable steps forward when learning difficult details around these deeply personal crimes. She also shared her eyewitness observations about seeing and hearing her daughter's killer in court. She told us that he was an unrepentant, evil man with dead eyes. Jen and I both knew going into these episodes the identity of our friend's killer and that he was tried for their murders. We also knew that he turned out to be a serial killer. What Jennifer didn't know, but what was revealed in Velda's episode, episode four, is that among the victims and survivors that Velda had kept in touch with over the years was a woman by the name of Lisa who had been raped and left for dead by the same killer and his accomplices in an event that occurred on the West Coast almost two years after. Rachel and Warren's deaths. Velda shared that what landed Tina's killer in jail in June of 1992 was this woman, Lisa's identification of her perpetrator and her testimony against him. It took another eight years before the many events we are describing were all connected through DNA. Velda described that Lisa, who was 15 years old at the time, was abducted by three men along with her best friend and her own mother. The three women were taken to a remote location where each man proceeded to rape one female. After Prieto raped Lisa's friend, he shot her with the intent to kill. The other two men stabbed Lisa and her mother, who played dead until the men left. Lisa then tried to carry her mother. She sought out and found someone in a far-off building to get help, and they were both taken to the hospital. Lisa and her mother lived, but Lisa's best friend did not. Lisa identified Prieto shortly after and went on to testify against him in court. He received a death sentence in California on several counts, including rape and the capital murder of 15-year-old Yvette Woodruff. So after four episodes, that's where we are so far in the recounting of this very far-reaching and deeply troubling series of events. I hope that our approach of pulling some lessons for the future out of these stories is inspiring and informative for you. Thank you for listening. We have a lot more to share. 
Thanks to audio producer, mixmaster, and sound designer Andy Bill of Submachine Audio. Thanks also to media producer Michael Doherty. And thanks to me, hero maker, director, and producer Andrea Schreeman. Please subscribe to the show where you listen to podcasts and take a moment to rate us. It really helps the podcast grow. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Hero Maker Pod. Want to collaborate or suggest a guest? Please email us at media at theheromakerpodcast.com. The Hero Maker Podcast is a production of Prudent Pictures. Thanks so much for listening. If you or someone you know is connected either personally or as the result of violent crime to Alfredo Prieto, a convicted rapist and killer who lived in and around San Bernardino, California, Arlington, Virginia, and Jamaica, Queens, New York between the years of 1984 and 1990, we'd like to hear from you. Please email us at info at theheromakerpodcast.com.